0: There's so many experiences and stories of lockdown. I know how important baking was to so many people. We know that when we feed our starter, it comes alive. We renew it and we see it respond and we create our dough and we see it respond. And that life and renewal that came out of it, I think, was also another positive element for people going through the confusion and the awful time that we had the connections that gave people it was huge and it brought a lot of us together
1: this is the sourdough podcast the show about the innovators leaders and creative trailblazers in our sourdough community and the stories behind the bread On this episode of The Sourdough Podcast, I talk with sourdough sage Elaine Boddy about her recently released cookbook, The Sourdough Whisperer. We discuss how her childhood in the Middle East later inspired her to explore cooking, baking, and blogging. She talks about writing a sourdough cookbook during lockdown, breaking all the rules of sourdough, and shares the advice she wishes she had as a new baker, and much, much more. No supporter shout outs this episode, but if you'd like a shout out on the podcast, head over to the sourdoughpodcast.com and click on the support button in the top right hand corner. With your donation in any amount, not only will you be helping make the next episode of your favorite podcast possible, you'll get a shout out on the air for you and your bakery. So head over to our website now, and thanks for supporting the podcast. After this episode, be sure to head over to the thesourdoughpodcast.com, where you'll find an exclusive sourdough recipe from Elaine, as well as a link to bonus recipes from her new book, The Sourdough Whisperer. And now, here's my interview with Elaine Boddy. My guest today is Elaine Boddy. Elaine is the founder of the Food Bod Sourdough blog and author of Whole Grain Sourdough at Home. Elaine is well known in our Instagram community for being a generous and abundant source of sourdough wisdom and has inspired countless new bakers on their sourdough journeys. She joins me today to talk about her latest book, The Sourdough Whisperer, The Secrets to No-Fail Baking with Epic Results, which was released in February. Elaine, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi, Mike.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm so excited to have you on. We haven't actually met online before, but uh, your reputation precedes you. And, you know, you've been uh, requested several times uh, as a guest. So I know lots of people will be excited to hear this episode.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Well, let's uh, let's jump right into it. Do you think you could uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background, and, and, and how you fell in love with sourdough?
0: Um, Well, the most important thing is um, I'm a wife and mum, 51 just. I have a 20-year-old son um, and a dog, Bob, who appears and everything. Um, And the sourdough thing for me, um, it just occurred. You know, it's it's such a magical thing, isn't it? I don't know if anybody actually ever had it as a a plan, but I started uh, a food blog. In 2013, I was at home full-time, and I wanted to chart the food that I was making. I had decided to teach myself my favorite foods. I had lived in the Middle East as a child, and my favorite food was Lebanese.
1: Okay.
0: And I'm vegetarian, and I wanted to start charting the things I made. So I set up this food blog, which I happen to call food Board because of my surname, um, <laughs> I just put that together right now. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's where it comes from. Um, and I, hadn't, I had no knowledge of what the blog world or community was like. And suddenly you enter this whole wonderful community of home cooks and people sharing and posting and encouraging. And, and suddenly I'm in this whole world. And because of the food that I was making and liking, you end up with people with similar tastes and people trying things at home. And um, some people I got to meet in person. I mean, even from that day, some of my best friends, people I talked to and conversed with all day, every day, are because of that blog, because of that food blog. Mm -hmm. Um, And amongst our food community was – an amazing lady called Celia in Australia, who started to make sourdough. And she was sharing what she was doing on her blog. And uh, I think you may have already heard about her before from Emily. I,
1: yes, I was just saying, I think I, I've heard yeah. her, uh, she's prolific, it sounds like, in, in sharing her yeah. sourdough across the world. So
0: she was making this this bread and this thing that was going on and I'd never even heard of it. And. Um, she decided to dry out a lot of starter and send it with some instructions around the world. And um, she sent some to a lady in London called Selma, who was a lady, another lady in blog world that I knew. So Celia's, um, Celia's starter was called Priscilla and from Australia. And mm-hmm. then she sent it to Selma. Selma revived hers and started baking some. And um, she decided that I should make this. She said, you should be doing this. You should be, you should be trying to make. This. And I honestly, I tried, I had discovered through my food blog that I had a certain fearlessness in the kitchen. I didn't know. I wasn't one of these people that learned to cook or bake at their mother's, um, you know, I, I didn't have that. Okay. And I was, it was just me in my kitchen, having a go and chucking things together and realizing actually, oh, I'm not too bad at this. So I then get sent this, this. Little pack of stuff and uh instruction sheet, and Selma saying to me, You should do this, you should make this. I've never even heard of it. (laughs) I'd had making bread, I got a bread maker, you know, I'd done all those things. And so I I sat on it for a bit thinking, I just I don't even know what to do with this, until I decided to be brave enough to do it. And I followed my instructions and I revived the starter, I followed the recipe that I was given. And it was amazing. By the next morning, I had this big bowl of dough. Wow. I had a beautiful loaf. And it was, I broke all the rules. I cut straight into it and ate half of it in one go. <laughs> it, was, it was just like, wow. And my son has always been a big bread fan. Okay, You know, even as a child, the easiest thing to do to get him quiet around the supermarket was to pick up a bread roll and, you know, keep him busy. And we did pay for them. And um <laughs> So he then comes home from school and tries this bread and loves it. And I was then requested to make more. So I did what everyone does really. And I started to read different things. I started to see what people are doing on their blogs. I tried different things. I made a few house bricks. I fed, you know, made a few hockey pucks. I did all of that.
1: Well, your first one, if, if I saw the, that picture, that was the right picture, was a, a knockout of a first loaf.
0: I mean, and it was amazing and I didn't have any of the things, you know, I didn't have, you know, the banneton or any of those things. I just, you know, just had I didn't even know what bread flour was. I just went to the supermarket and picked up a packet. Um and it kind of went from there. And it was really only because I'd had Instagram already and I was sharing my vegetarian food and then I started to share bits of bread that I was making. And really it it kind of grew from there, just And when I look back at some of the breads, I know that now some people would look at it and go, "Oh, that's a fail. Whereas I actually, I firstly don't even believe in the word where sourdough is concerned. Mm. I think it's wholly unnecessary. But actually, even if it was a flat, wide loaf, I loved it. I was so proud of it. Uh And it all got eaten. So really, it just came from that. It was from that journey of coming from Australia then to London and then to me and having made the starter from the dried packet I then made endless starters you know and had bowls and bowls of stuff in the fridge until Selma made the point that you know if you have 10 starters that's <laughs> a lot of flour to keep them going yeah and then start to, okay this is very true you know, it meant that I was experimenting and having fun with it. So, yeah. it really, just came from that, really, a complete accident.
1: I think it's so cool that one woman has uh, inspired two guests of mine who went on to write books and inspired yes. countless hundreds and thousands of people. It's just, uh, it's so cool how our uh, sourdough community works like that. Um, it was interesting. We, to me, that you said you didn't have any uh, background with baking, really, you didn't really grow up baking bread, or even knowing what sourdough was. I, I, one of my questions was, um, you know, for me when I got started, I also didn't have much experience at all baking. Um, however, sourdough has this, like a certain connotation here in California, you know, with like <laughs> San Francisco, and and so that was all these, you know ideas came up in my mind when i started baking what's what was sourdough what's sourdough culture like uh where you live in england um how did that you know what did you think of when you thought about sourdough um with your background
0: the thing is i didn't honestly i've never heard of it it was only for being <laughs> on the blog so i traveled a lot in my childhood and lived in different places so i ended up in the Middle East in Dubai before no one had ever heard of it in my teens. Um, and you know, there, there's a lot of flatbreads, a lot of unleavened breads. Um, and then ending up here, I live in the middle of the countryside, right in the middle of England. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, yes, if you'd gone into London or you have gone into a bigger city, maybe people are more aware of it. They are now, now that sourdough has become so huge. But back at that point, not really. Mm-hmm. It was only from seeing what people were doing online. So honestly, the whole uh, connection, the San Francisco link, all of that, I had no idea about. Honestly, wow. I, blank, I, it, So a blank, it,
1: about as a blank slate as you can, can be, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. completely.
1: Oh, that's so cool. Well, so this is, uh, Elaine, this is your second book. Um, you, you know, and as we, I think we all understand, if there's a, 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 f- a couple of years, sometimes several years it could take to write a book. I was curious about your process of writing this book, how it, how it came about, and and obviously at what point, you know, COVID came into play when you were writing this book, and, and if that, you know, affected your uh, writing of the, of this, uh, book in any way?
0: Definitely. Um, you know, the, the first book, the whole grain book was very much, uh, the publisher came to me. I had been playing with different flowers and things and showing what I was doing online. Um, and it fulfills what they wanted, what they were looking for with a whole grain sourdough book. um, again, because I was just playing around with all those flowers and grains in my kitchen. And with the second one, this one was more my proposition and it was directly as a result of all the questions I've ever been asked. Um, And if you take COVID and lockdown into that as well, you know, lockdown, especially the first one, is the busiest time of my entire life.
1: (laughs) I'm it, sure It's
0: just uh, the, the the number of questions, um, the, the comments, the posts, all day, every day, there would be messages, emails, <laughs> because so many people are doing it. But the beauty of all that and, you know, the community that I had, the community on Facebook and Instagram everywhere, means that I knew what people wanted to know. Mm-hmm. So actually... I was basing the information I wanted to share on what I was being asked. So when it comes to actually writing a book, for me, I tend to write as I speak. So actually a lot of it, a lot of the book was written with me talking into my phone as I was walking my dog. So dictating it onto Hmm. notes and then coming home and reading through it and needing to fix it because it never seemed to want to pick up sourdough. It always turned it into something else. (laughs) And, but because I would have, my brain never really stops, I'm that type, but because I would have so much going through my head, and especially when you're doing something like walking the dog in an open space, just in a mindful kind of zone, I could just download what was in my head. So it was very much that, you know, knowing what people wanted to know. I think because I have now conversed with people pretty much in every country, mm. I know what the questions are. I know what the the struggles can be. Um, you know, I know what's coming. I can see what's coming from a message that someone sends me or a photo they send me. You know, I can. I find it amazing that I can be shown a photo. Uh, <laughs> you know, a bowl of glue, and I can tell you what's going on with it. Yeah. Or someone can send me a photo of their bread, and I can tell them what's happened to it, which amazes me. But so the, the process of, of writing it really was the, it was responding.
1: Mm. Well,
0: and that, know, and people... that
1: makes so much sense to me. Going through your book and, and talk, hearing you say it's 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 like a conversation. It kind of reads like a conversation with somebody on Instagram or somebody you you're following along, and you can see their progress, and you're like in. that's how your book reads to me as this, beer you're just having a chat with somebody and saying, all right, well, here's the next step. Here's something to think about. Yeah. Very natural.
0: Perfect. You know, that's all that I would ever want it to be. Um, so that, you know, someone in their kitchen can pick it up and feel like I'm talking to them, Mm -hmm. you know, and that I am there answering. And people often say, you know, you've answered the questions I didn't even know I had. And therefore to me, then I've done the right thing. Yeah. So, Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so COVID, you know, there was, yeah, that explosion of uh, interest right around the time you're (laughs) writing this book. So I imagine you had a lot of content, you easily available, a lot of uh, questions to answer and. Yeah. And, and I mean, I was lucky that I had flour because
0: there was like, because, you know, we were doing, we were shooting the photos, um, you know, like into the third kind of lockdown we had here, I think it was, you know, and flour was a big issue for people mm. um, So get, yeah, it was like, you know, lockdown, this, there's so many experiences and stories of lockdown. And, you know, I know how important baking was to so many people and, this, you know, sourdough in particular, there's, we know that when we feed our starter, it comes alive we know that we renew it and we see it respond and we create our dough and we see it respond. And that life and renewal that came out of it, I think was also another positive element for people mm. going through, the confusion and the awful time that we had. Um, but also then the connections that gave people, the the WhatsApp groups people created, the family sharing, you know, the it, it was such a massive thing. I know it was, you know, it was like the banana bread situation. It was a, a, a thing for people to not. For some people, it was like, Oh, did you do the sourdough thing? Or you know. <laughs> yeah. actually for the people that were involved in it, yeah. it was, it was huge. And it brought a lot of us together. Mm. And actually I asked, I have a very tight community in my Facebook group. And I asked some of them to write their stories for me and their stories of lockdown and sourdough, mm. um, which I've got on my website It's because they've, there was such a connection, people baking for others, people sharing with others, you know, just amazing. You know, this thing, this, this non-cult cult cult that we're in. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I was just, I was just thinking about that. The timing of it it was such a unique and and special time to be writing a a sourdough book, um, especially being someone like yourself, who's so connected to the sourdough community. So. You you were the person to write it, and I'm, and I'm glad you did.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> so I, I just wanted to jump into the book now and, and just there was you know talk about some of the things I thought were were great and and uh, a couple of the sections and I, th- I got a couple of listener questions, um, but we've already kind of touched on some of the things. But one of the things I really appreciated from your book were all of the FAQs, frequently asked questions. I mean yeah. there's just so many in there. I'm mean, they're, they're so great for troubleshooting, um, you know figuring out what went wrong along the way. And you know, I remember scanning books when I was a beginner looking for a section like that, you know, where it's like, okay, I I followed the steps. This this is something that came up that I wasn't expecting and just, you know, scouring the book looking for like okay, this happened Here's a possible, you know, so so I just remember n- remembering that that stage of of learning and like wishing for more, <laughs> you know, a section just like this. Um, and as you as you mentioned, you get the same question a lot, and so it's it's really helpful.
0: Yeah, thank
1: uh, you. Yeah, uh, another part of it was. Um, Very easy to read um, and easy to follow. And again, that was your intention from the beginning. Um, Particularly your master recipe was, you know, it's very simple, very straightforward. I thought the time of day, um, like the scheduling for me, that's just so practical and so – Re- it's just like it makes so much sense because I've read so many books, you know, learning, and I'm like, okay, you know, you're just you're doing timetables and charts in your head, trying to, you know, so that, oh, you know, fold the dough after 45 minutes for half an hour at 15 minute intervals, and you know, proof it for three hours, and you're and so you're reading this, you're trying to like understand the concepts, but then you have to like like wait, you know, you have to go back and schedule this on your on a piece of paper and, you know, you're never really sure if your timetable lines up with the, the authors.
0: If I, if I can interject then, um, one of the key things I think for me is, um, the fact that I'm a mum and I run a home mm. and I needed to be able to make the bread I wanted to around that. And, what I really wanted people to know with this book is that you control the dough. It does not control you. Mm. I think, especially when you first start, you know, you get people getting up at three in the morning because they, they, you know, have have they got to do with the dough because there's that lack of knowledge and that fear that actually you are in control of it. um, Not the other way around. And it needs to fit in with life. So if people started making it in lockdown in particular Suddenly they're then going back to work. They need to know, how do I then carry on with this? Mm -hmm. Which is why I've got timetables in the book about, you know, a a working day or starting it in the morning or starting it in the evening, bringing it to a halt. If your day changes completely, you need to know that you can just shove that in the fridge and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Or if you fade your starter and then you actually don't come around to using it, what can you do with it? So for me, it had to be about practicality and simplicity, which is why you don't find percentages and ratios and those things in my book, because it's not the way that I work. Yeah, um, well, And because it, yeah. I, I just don't think that it needs to be that confusing, but this is all, of course, personal preference. This is just the way I do things. It's no comment on the way anyone else does.
1: Yeah, I, that was something else I want to talk about a little bit Back to the the scheduling uh, concept, uh, you know, for, for your master recipe, you know, I remember uh, again, I'm just reading this book is like, yes, I wish this book existed when I was learning, you know, to bake sourdough because I that's your master recipe schedule. That was my schedule basically, you know, I'd have I'd be working, <laughs> and maybe on like a weekend, I'd want to mess around with the sourdough. And so, like, you have yeah. your master recipe is very easy for like someone who you could start it like on a Friday before work come back um, at in the evening and make this dough while you're relaxing, you maybe even watch a couple Netflix episodes, you know, get up the next morning and bake it. And so, and then you, like you said, you have a whole list, you know, on page 62 about like different alternate timetables for different schedules, mm. which I thought was so, so helpful.
0: Thank you.
1: Um, and then you, as you mentioned, it, yeah, I, I, and I, 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 I noticed this as well as you're not, Overly focused on biology and chemistry and explaining the science behind every step um, because you know i I find that stuff interesting, but it's it's like it's not always helpful for for beginners and it can really overly complicate the learning process. Um, can you talk a little bit more about about that intentionality and 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 why you steered so away the- from that?
0: It's not even that it was intentional, really. Um, It's just not something I've ever done. And I didn't see the point. And when I first started making sourdough, I was just doing it for myself. I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't sharing these things in different communities. And it was only after a few years that I decided I was going to go back on Facebook and maybe start to see what other people were doing. And... um, Joins these sourdough groups and suddenly saw all this information, and I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> okay. I started sharing what I was doing, and suddenly people are saying, oh, but you're breaking all the rules. <laughs> and I would be going, what rules are they? I didn't know there were any, and so none of it was actually none of it was intentional. Mm. But it also needed to be. I work in a way that. Um, appeals to me and works for me that I hope then works for other people and I could see people responding to the simplicity of the way that I do things yeah. so I suppose therefore that's what I continued with because I could see that the people that like the way I do things that they like that Yeah. and There are, as we know, so many ways you can do this, so many ways you can make sourdough. Mm -hmm. And if you want to become more scientific about it, you can. If Mm. you want to get into percentages, you can. If that stuff doesn't interest you, you also don't need to. I think one of the most important things for me is that there is no right or wrong. And I have been abused verbally online for the fact that I don't do things in a certain (laughs) way. Wow. Or a way that people believe that I should. It's quite amazing, uh, which is why I started my own group. And in my in my Facebook group, literally, like I said earlier, I don't allow the word "fail." Mm. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as a fail because they're all lessons. Yeah. And when my son first went to school, he was taught that the word "fail" stands for first attempt in learn a first attempt at learning. Yes. Uh, first attempt in learning, and. And that is something that I reiterate on a regular basis because I see so many pe- people put posts up and they go, well, it's not perfect, but, and I think it is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. made it. You loved it. Your family's enjoyed it. You've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So what's not perfect about that? So none of the way that I do things is intentional. None of this is intentional. The books weren't. The, 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 the sourdough world, none of it was intentional. It's all just evolved, which
1: yeah.
0: I'm so happy it's gone that way. So it's not that I'm against percentages, ratios, yeah. scientific, biology, or any of those things, just not the way that I work. So it, you just won't find them in the things that I do.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's what I love about sourdough is it? it's, you know, there's different paths for different people and, like, Some people are way into the uh, analysis and the charts and the science and, you know, the math and, you know, and that's, you know, Baker's percentages. I remember like, you know, which you don't really go into at all or use uh, in your book, but, you know, it's there's a learning curve there. And a lot of some of these books like have whole chapters on learning Baker's percentages and explaining them. And it's just very easy to pick up your book and just start baking. And that's, it's, um, I think that's a a great approach
0: that I think a lot of
1: people will find helpful. Um, we also, I love your book. You have a ton of amazing recipes in there. Once you have, uh, discuss the section of, of learning in your master recipe, you have these all these amazing recipes to apply that knowledge to. Was it 40 in all recipes? Yeah,
0: there is in that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You, you got it broken up into several sections, like enriched dough, spiced sourdough, flat, filled, shaped, uh, each, each with its own master recipe at the beginning of the section. Um, can you talk a little bit about the recipes real quick? How, how did you decide which ones you wanted? And... Uh, was there like a certain process for like researching your your recipes?
0: To be honest, it usually just tends to be I open my brain and in they come. Um, <laughs> or some of it is I just open the cupboard and see what I've got. So that's why there are recipes that use um, leftovers because, you know, you end up with leftovers, what do you do with them? I shove them in some dough. Or behind me is a big spice cupboard, just one of my other loves, you know, throw them in some dough and see what happens. Um, But also the biggest thing was to make the point that sourdough is not just this crusty loaf that people think it is. It can be anything that's made with a starter. Mm. So the different recipes in there, the different shapes, the different forms, the different ingredients, they're all still sourdough just because one might be brioche-like and one is baked in a bunt tin. You know, and another one is flat. Doesn't mean they're not sourdough. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to show the diversity of what you can use it make with a starter.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but also the fact of um, I don't know if you picked up on it, the fact that I don't preheat the oven.
1: I saw that it was one. You, you explained <laughs> that you, if you want to preheat it, here's one way to do it. If you're not going to preheat it, I was like, wow. I've, I've I think I tried it once a long time ago. Um, but yeah, it's a, that's a very interesting approach, and, it, it, and again, and it simplifies it to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, and at the moment, with you know the rises that we have here in you know energy prices and things like that, mm. it's again something that can be quite useful. That's but a good point. I so when I'm making my bread, it's a cold dough, it's a cold pan into a cold oven, and then I should turn it all on. So again, that goes against you know, all of these ideas of preheating your pan for ages. And, you know, I've had the burns. I've been there and done that. Trying to fit a, bit, you know, yeah. a bit of dough into this hot pan. Um, so it gives, it, it again, it's all about usability. Yeah. You know, so if you do get in from work, you can grab your dough from the fridge. It's been in the banneton, shove it in your cold pan, shove it in your cold oven and off you go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, One again, less
1: technique you have to master before you can get in the game you know like if it's one less oh i gotta cut out the parchment paper in a certain way so i can lower it into the dutch oven You know, just avoid all of that you know and just fall in love with the process
0: yeah that's all i really want people to do is be happy just enjoy it find the way that works for you produce bread that you're happy with that you enjoy it doesn't need to look like anyone else's it doesn't need to look a certain way It just has to be something that you enjoy on your table that you're proud of.
1: I wanted to take a quick break from our interview to thank the main sponsor of the podcast, Wiremonkey, creator of the original UFO Bread Lawn. WireMonkey Monkey makes the highest quality bread scoring tools and accessories that you've undoubtedly seen in the hands of bakers throughout our sourdough community. Whether you are into intricate scoring and stenciling, the likes of At The Gem The Color or At Oak City Sourdough, or you're just looking for a dependable, easy to use, ergonomic bread lame, Wire Monkey has what you are looking for. I use mine every time I bake. Wiremonkey has several LOM styles. They even have a sourdough podcast version in Walnut that helps support the podcast with every purchase. So go to wiremonkey.com to buy yours online or find a reseller in your country. Now, back to the show. One recipe that stood out to me that I really want to try is the apricot and almond babka. I, it looks so delicious. I have yet to try babka. I see it all over the place. Um, I've, I haven't attempted it yet but this uh, version to me sounds delicious there's i mean i grew up on an apricot orchard here in Central oh, california i and i still live in the same area and uh almonds are, are like our number one product or yeah part of the the state and so we got ap- I got a little apricot tree in front and so like i'm like all right i'm gonna make i'm gonna make a an Attempt at Bobca, so I'm glad I, I found it
0: amazing. This. And you need to tag me if you do,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just love any fruit and nut combination, to be honest. Like, I that's I, I regularly do like a, a fig and walnut, which both of those also grow in my area, uh, or like a cranberry pecan if, if I run out of walnuts and, and figs and
0: in the I book. Just, and fig, walnut, and blue cheese.
1: I saw that one. I was <laughs> like, wow. Because that's like, it put this like a, a more like a savory umami twist on that. If
0: I'm a savory person. I yeah. have to really love to do sweets. So for me, if I'm if I've got a sweet element like the fruit, I want cheese with it. Mm. So that's why you'll see like a fruity loaf, but I will be serving it with cheese. Oh, so yeah. You know,
1: So, Elaine, is there a particular recipe you're especially excited about or proud of uh, in this book?
0: That's like asking me to choose a child. (laughs) (laughs) No
1: pressure, no pressure.
0: Oh, oh. um, uh, I really like, so there's a section which is enriched dough, Mm. and in there there's some little jam-filled enriched rolls and when you uh take them out the oven when you first eat them whilst they're warm they're like donuts yum but they're baked wow so they are gorgeous um i also like much batter but i also like the same day recipes as well because it allows people to make them within the same yeah. day so the answer is going to be no it's too difficult <laughs> to <stick them>. get <laughs> done.
1: yeah <laughs> Well, I, I have not ventured much into enriched doughs with like milk and eggs. And my, my wife is actually dairy-free or allergic to dairy. So that's kind of stopped me a little bit from venturing too much. I just started doing cookies with, with butter. So I feel really guilty about making those all the time. But <laughs> but yes, milk, enriched doughs, I, I, I really want to get into... Oh, you price. can
0: use plant-based milk so there are there are alternatives and different ways that you can make them mm-hmm. um but it is i mean it's just basically like a sourdough brioche mm. you know that's so good
1: delicious well can't wait to try it um let's see real quick i mean we'll, we'll try to not go much too much longer here Elaine. we had um there's a couple of sections. I mean, obviously, you really focus on starter health in the beginning of the book, and and I think that's really important to getting people off on the right track with their their sourdough journey. Um, what are some things people could do to like better understand their starter? Um, I know that was something like that was kind of a mystery to me first starting out was like understanding the ebbs and flows of my my starter health.
0: And I think that's part of it. It's like you say, it's the ebb and flow. And it's realising, I think a key thing for me is that things are going to be different in every kitchen. So everybody's Mm. starter is going to be different because the environment it's in, but also because of the different flour and water that they use. So often people will say to me, my starter doesn't look like yours. And my answer is always going to be, it's never going to look like mine unless mm. you're in my kitchen using <laughs> my flour and my water. Yeah. So I think the most important thing with a starter is to actually understand its personality, of your starter. Mm. What does it like? What works with it? Um, as the temperatures are getting hotter, I mean, we've had some hot weather here this week. It's cooler now. But as the temperatures rise and our starters work faster, there's also a tendency for them to get hungry or to get thin, And again, coming back to what we said earlier, forget ratios. Don't worry about equal parts and equal quantities. I think a really important thing is to give your starter what it needs. So if you have a starter that's become quite thin and it's got teeny tiny bubbles, that's too thin and therefore it's weak. Mm. So what you need to do is just give it extra flour, just Mm -hmm. flour alone and thicken it back up. And it's okay if you need to keep doing that. So if you need to respond to the situation and just give it some extra flour and give it some body on a regular occasion, that's okay. Um, But also, you know, people message me and say, oh, I have a rice starter. I've just fed it with some strong white bread flour by accident. Is that going to be a problem? No, it's not. It won't be a problem at all. In fact, it might quite like it. Yeah. So the thing is to remember that starters are really hard to kill. They're really very (laughs) resilient, Mm. but more so than people realize. They can sleep in a fridge for months and still be fine. Um, And to not get too distressed about it, I think, you know, it's just fermented flour and water. They can really easily be picked up unless they go moldy. That's the only time that there's a problem with them. But you can very easily bring life back into a starter.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I remember having a conversation with my my first guest, Crystal um, White, down here in San Diego. She was t- we we're talking about sourdough, and she's like, "Oh, have you experimented with like feeding your starter twice before a bake?" Or and that was something I would never or I would tried, but I never really I never really noticed um, uh, much of a difference. But I think that's for me. I, you know, I'm a tinkerer, and so I, I enjoy those little experiments of like, yeah. you know. Oh, it's it. What happens if I do feed it twice before a bake, or or if I, uh, you know, lower the the percentage of of water um, first, you know, or stuff like that. So I find always found that helpful too. Is just you know, obviously experimenting, uh, trying different things out with your starter, seeing what it likes, what it doesn't like, you know.
0: And I think you know that's part of the fun for me mm. is you know, hence. Feeding starters with different flowers, but also different liquids, um, and you know, I remember putting some yogurt in a starter just to see what it would do. I think I would never ever adulterate my main starter, my star. Yeah, I think you know, caution out a little bit and play with it and yeah. see what a different flower does, see what a different liquid might do. You know, I put bee pollen in my starter and it w- was amazing. Oh, it, it, just because you never know what you might create. But it's that fact of, again, there's no right or wrong. It's just experimenting. And you might find a new favourite if that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I think it's great fun just to open a packet of flour and see what it's going to do. Because one of the biggest lessons I think we learn is flour is just not, it's not just flour. There are so many variables when it mm. comes to flour, the mm. way that they behave in our starters, in our doughs. So you can create so many things just with this new bag of flour with a different name on, mm-hmm. you never know what the outcome is going to be, which I think is great fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, another uh, kind of a new beginner concept that you I addressed, I th- thought well was, you know, you uh, know, I think you know this is something I still find challenging is diagnosing problems with your dough as they come up, as you're learning, you know, I've, I've baked thousands of loaves of bread and you, you would think I would by now have a solid understanding of every symptom for every issue that, that pops up, but you're, you, there's always something with sourdough that keeps you on your toes. Um, when I, when I think of major concepts that many new bakers commonly have problems with, um, it's the concept of proofing, you know, and just like fermentation, proper fermentation. Why do you think that's such a uh, challenging uh, issue, a stumbling block for so many new bakers?
0: I think because when you make, um, not everybody has made standard bread, but if you come from making bread with yeast, a standard yeasted loaf, it can be proved and done in one to two hours you come to sourdough and we have a much longer proving period. Mm. And I think because you have all those extra hours, that's when it can therefore be open to the changes of environment and heat and what's going on around it. So it's realising that the beauty of sourdough is that slowness and therefore the flavour and the texture it creates, but it's being aware then that that can be affected by what's going on around it. And for me, as soon as I started to understand what temperature was doing to my dough, that's when it changed for me, mm. when I got a thermometer yeah. for my kitchen and I started to understand, okay, actually, this isn't about time alone. This is about time and temperature.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So because new, you know, new bakers come and they end up with this, this big bowl of dough that could be quite firm, it could be quite structured, it could end up with a bit of a slop. It can become therefore quite scary. So that's why I wanted to make sure I held some hands all the way through it and why I included the proving section in the book. Yeah, Because actually that is something that people worry about. But it's just that knowledge that you do control it, you can control it, and these are the ways that you can. But it's just allowing for that time. So if you've got a dough that's proving over 10 hours – be aware that things can affect that mm-hmm. and that you need to take that into account because that's a long time. Therefore that can affect the dough. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, well, and then you obviously you touch on, you don't just touch on it, but you, you, you point out clearly that temperature is a, is it, Massive, not, not one one of many, but one of the biggest factors in in making bread, especially when you stretch it out over ten hours or twelve hours or something like that. And you know that's something I've you know just the difference of a couple degrees can really change effect on my my
0: Massively. dough. yeah, a- absolutely. And it, it it's just that you know for me, if I wrote a recipe, a sourdough recipe that did not refer to temperature, for me it would be incomplete. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you don't have some reference to it somewhere, there is missing information.
1: Yeah, I remember having a conversation with a baker friend, and she was telling me, I was asking her, oh, what temperature do you, do? You, what's your final dough temperature you aim for? And she's like, oh, I've never even considered that. And I was just like, what? How do you, how have you ever made one, you know, a successful loaf? Uh, it just kind of blew my mind. But that, for me, it's, yeah, obviously it's just something that's uh, very, important to uh, to stay aware of um, and and then you know on page 48 49 50 you, you did a really good job of um showing uh, underproofed loaf kind of like side by side like overproofed underproofed on on opposite pages yeah, that was just, so
0: hard it was oh, so hard
1: <laughs> really like <laughs> producing oh. like a, a a purposefully yeah so
0: under actually, and overproofed was easier actually but to purposely overproof dough you know, the,
1: that was, I, I really had to push myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, I think, especially the visual cues of what one looks like versus the other, that takes a long time to to get a grasp of. And so having a, a, a tool, like a side-by-side, like you, you had in there, I thought was really helpful. Oh a listener question from It's a Bread Thing. Um, wanted to know if there's anything you could do if your dough is overproofed, like, Is there any way to salvage it, bring it back, or is it a lost cause?
0: I think it depends what level it's at. I think it depends how far it's over Um, because it could be that actually if it's not too bad, you can still pull it together and you can still pull it into a a loaf and a dough that's going to hold some structure. For me, if it's really gone too far, I would – use it to make focaccia because Mm, you can mm, make you know the tastiest focaccia because one of the things is is that overcooked over very tasty yeah if you like sour you know the more it's fermented the more you increase that flavor so you could make a fabulous focaccia if it's really liquid i would mix it up with some milk or some yogurt and turn it into flatbreads Mm, so i would never ever waste the dough but there are things you can do with it i mean if you if you feel that it's just losing enough structure to hold itself in a sandwich loaf you know it's not going to hold itself in a free form um then put it in a in a loaf tin you know just bake it as a sandwich loaf
1: yeah good idea
0: yeah so that you give it some structure so i think it depends what the different levels are of how far it's gone there are different things you can do with it which is what i included in the book but Mm -hmm. never throw dough away It never
1: yes
0: always bake it
1: Supreme uh, no-no, throwing throwing dough away. Um, okay. Uh, well, we are coming up on our time here, Elaine. I want to let you get back to your evening over there in England. Um, but when we, one last question we can uh, round it out with was from uh, Marina Bakehouse, 831. And I think this is obviously something you get a lot, and so maybe this is a question you – you will be familiar with, but a, what's one piece of advice you wish you knew when you first started baking? If
0: when you I first think started baking,
1: back, yes. When
0: I first started baking, salad. if there was
1: a sourdough whisperer book when you started, what would be the one section that you think you wish you had?
0: I think um, I think I wish someone had said to me, "It's it's it's easier than you think." Mm. I think there's far too many <laughs> complicated, overcomplicated processes. Mm-hmm. Um probably it would come back to that that um point about temperature. Yeah. I think if I had if I had been given that advice or I had seen something about that right from the beginning, it would make a massive difference, I think. I mean, I'm glad I learned it the way I did, because it was all learned through experience and trial and error. Um so yeah, I think that connection with temperature, you know, I always say to people, sourdough is very much like me as a 50 plus woman, you know, I don't do well in the heat, I turn into <laughs> a public, <laughs> I get very stiff and slow in the cold, yeah. you know, and that, that understanding that sourdough is that live thing, and just like we are affected by temperature, so is your dough going a bit. Um, Oh, there's so many things, I suppose, yeah. but also uh, use your best, if you have, if you can't afford white flour, use the best quality one you can in your starter. Yeah.
1: Great, great advice. Um, yeah. Temperature is a huge concept. And, and then I just love the fact that the way you say is like, there's just no failing, you know, it's all a, a opportunity to learn. And you're going to, you know, as long as you make bread, sourdough, especially, you're going to keep "Quote unquote," failing and in learning from those mistakes and getting better and better, and, and again, it's
0: all, yeah, it's all personal preferences. What someone one person's perfect is another person's imperfect, anyway. Mm-hmm. So to me, the word you know, perfect, is a complete misnomer here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist in anything. So when you know, it's and it's being kind to yourself, isn't it? Whenever people say to me, you know, oh, it's not perfect, or it should look like yours, or you know. You've made it, you've done it, you've entered yeah. this world of sourdough, you've given it a go, you're proud of what you've created, that's all that matters.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's so much fun sharing bread online on Instagram, but that's one of the, I think the temptations is to compare your bread to other people's yeah. perfectly posed breads, and that's not what it's all about. So, um, Elaine, what's next for... Uh, Elaine Body, has she got you guys got a, a new book in the works any new ideas floating around for oh, number the three idea,
0: The ideas never stop I have <laughs> to say people keep asking me for a number three um yeah I, I'm sure I won't be able to help myself
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right well, I'm sure your uh your blog readers and, and followers will help you come up with the content if you if you need any um well, thank you, Elaine, for talking with me today. I know so many people have been inspired by you over the years. And uh, I just, like I said, I got so many requests over the years for uh, for you to be on the show. And, and it's funny, I put out a request for listener questions, and I f- I got probably more just comments on how much people have appreciated you over the years and how vital you were to them learning. Then I actually got questions. So I think that says a lot. Thank you to
0: everyone. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, Elaine, for coming on and talking with me and thanks for being an amazing part of our sourdough community.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening. The Sourdough Podcast is produced by Michael Hilburn and edited by Caleb Sexton. All music is by Weston Perry. Thanks again to our main sponsor of this episode, Tyler, at the Wire Monkey Shop. You can find music and products by clicking on links in the show notes of this episode. And be sure to head over to sourdoughpodcast.com where you can find exclusive recipes from our guests, as well as cookbook and gear recommendations previous episodes and more. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to tell a couple bread friends. You can also support the podcast by purchasing a Sourdough Podcast t-shirt, coffee mug, or UFO LOM at the backslash shop. Thanks, and we'll see you again
0: next time.